glad that you guys are here. We're um, doing the doctrine of the church, uh, talking about the church. And when you look at the church, um, there is so many aspects, so many things that are going on. And even when you look at the church as whole, and this is what we're going to be talking about this morning, when you look at the church as whole, you sometimes wonder, well, why do we do this? Or how did we get here? Or why is this thing taking place? Why, you know, just those kind of questions. And, and some of the big questions that we just want to, um, and it's not even the title of the, the lesson, but some of the big questions we want to really um, ask and emphasize is, is doctrines. Um, you know, Christ came 2,000 years ago, planted the church, and doctrine is like a, a huge thing. And then also denominations. And uh, how do we handle doctrines? How do we handle denominations? Are denominations good or denominations bad? Should we all be one body? Where do we get here? Um, the only way we can understand of how we got to where we're at is to go back into history and start from the very, um, very, very beginning. And uh, so we're going to start from the beginning this morning. And I, you will see that a lot of the, the concepts I'm talking about are, are huge concepts, but I'm going to almost speak as if, oh yeah, this happened. Well, the reason why it's even on the paper, because it's very, very huge and, um, in those things. But we do want to start um, with the history, uh, the history of the church. So number one, the first mention of the church was a statement um, to Peter. So what happened is you have Israel is God's people. But then when Christ came, something uh, phenomenal happened in almost every single degrees in regards to the church. Um, and I'm even going to pull out the most phenomenal, which is Jesus Christ and the Holy Spirit, Christ in you, all those things. I mean, we can hang on to those things and say that was absolutely phenomenal. But the, something that took place in Acts, which is really, really interesting, is that um, Christ came for all people. The Old Testament talks about what? Israel is God's chosen people. So there's a whole new mindset that God has come for the Gentiles. Um, God has come for the Jews. And, and that's what's taking place through Acts is this message, is that God united, united all people as him being the head. Jesus Christ has done that with him being the head. And we think, oh yeah, it's, it's Gentiles. Oh yeah, they can accept Christ. No big deal. Jews, yeah, we can accept Christ. No big deal. But this was completely radical in um, this day and age, that Gentiles uh, would do it. And then Jesus' strategy is just, I just love his strategy, uh, because who is the strongest Jew, probably the most strongest Jew, pushing a mission, pushing a, a drive in the New Testament? It was, it was Paul. And, um, and what was his drive? What was his mission? What was his passion? It depends if you talk about Acts after Acts 9 or before Acts 9? <laughs> because his drive and his passion was to do what? Was to kill Christians. <laughs> I, to annihilate them, to arrest them, to, to get the gospel of God completely stuffed out. That was the first part of a mission. And then we know the story. God, Jesus met him on the road to Damascus, and then he changes his entire mission for the opposite, the opposite direction. But the strongest Jew in the entire um, uh, New Testament, um, I mean, was, was Paul. So what was Paul's mission? Preach to the Gentiles, <laughs> which is really interesting, isn't it? All right, I'm going to want you, Paul, you're a Jew. Your main mission is going to preach to the Gentile. Another person that carried a huge passion in the, in the book of Acts is who? Peter. Peter. So what was Peter? P 
Peter was one of those guys that anybody would get saved. He would almost be classified as a Gentile. What was Peter's job? He was a fisherman before, just a, just a nobody. And what was his job? Is to preach to the Jews. If you notice the swap that took place, you're a, a Jew, you understand the law, Paul, you understand all this stuff. I want you to give the message to the Gentiles. And Peter, you're a Gentile. I want you to give a message to the Jews. Jews is known the rich, prestige, the ones that God looks at and says, you're amazing. You know, those things, that would be the, the Jews. So it's just interesting how that entire dynamic um, has taken place. So what happened when Christ came and planted the church, it unified everybody. It completely unified the rich. It unified the poor. It unified all people with Christ being the head. So this is a radical statement that Jesus says, I'm going to plant the church, which is not, I'm going to die for Israel. It's going to be something completely different, radical. And this is the radical statement. The first mention of the radical statement was to Peter, Matthew 16, 17. And Jesus said to him, Blessed are you, Simon, because flesh and blood did not reveal this to you, but my Father who is in heaven... I also say to you that you are Peter, and upon this rock I will build my church, and the gates of Hades will not overpower it. Now, however we translate this verse, or however we work with this verse, or however we take this verse, will give us a picture of what the church is supposed to look like. Let me tell you how some people have translated this verse. Peter is the rock. What does that mean? Some people have translated it. Peter is the one that is going to carry this message. And he is the one, the ultimate, the priest, the power, the person that has the authority to make this church happen and go forward. And in many different religions, Peter is the priest, the high priest priest. He is the ultimate. He is the one that has done, he has done that. But is it Peter or is it somebody else? If you look at the verse very closely, it says, I um, say to you, Peter, upon this rock, I will build my church. So it's almost like, Peter, all you are is going to be this stone, and on this stone, the church is going to take place. Now, what is that message? Is that message, Peter, I'm going to fill you with power so you can accomplish everything? Or is that message, upon this stone, Peter, because you're kind of a, let's just say it, kind of a loser, <laughs> uh, stick your foot in your mouth a lot, you don't have a lot of you know, gifts in those sense, but on this stone, they're going to see a beautiful gospel. And when they see this beautiful gospel, they will know that we are all connected Therefore, Peter, what I interpret this wise, Peter, don't put the strength on you. Don't put the power in you. Don't put the uh, prestige in you. Don't think that your gifts is going to carry my church. Because if you built a church that has your gifts, then the gates of hell will overpower it. But upon this rock, I will build my church. And what do you see between Peter and Jesus? you see a salvation that took place with Christ doing all of the work. 
So here, Christ is going to build his church. Number two, this is the very start of the church. The church was launched in Acts 2. So we know this story, most people know the story, that when the church was launched, the Holy Spirit showed up. And now when the Holy Spirit showed up and went into Peter, what are you going to see? One powerful person? Hmm, let's just watch the, watch the passage. Acts 2, 1-4. through 4. When the day of Pentecost had come, they were all together in one place, and suddenly there came from heaven a noise like a violent rushing wind, and it filled the whole house where they were sitting. And there appeared to them tongues as though distributing themselves, and, um, and they rested on each other, each of them. And they were all filled with the Holy Spirit and began to speak with one another in tongues as the Spirit was giving them utterances. So here something amazing has happened. This Holy Spirit just showed up and power has now hit the earth and you're going to see um, the rock rise. Is that correct? Well, you do see the rock rise. After the Holy Spirit come in a rushing wind and the tongues of flames are above each person's head and they're all speaking in all these different languages, who rises? The one that Christ says, I will build my church, which is Peter. And what does he do? He then, Acts 2, then Peter stood up with the eleven. He stood up, raised his voice. That is not the eleven's voice. That is raised Peter's voice and addressed the crowd. Fellow Jews and all of you who live in Jerusalem, let me explain this to you. Listen carefully what I say. So here is the ultimate launch of the church. And if you hear Peter stand up after the Holy Spirit has just filled him, it's going to be really interested what he's going to say and what he's going to say next. So we'll ask the question, what does he say? Um, I can't read the whole passage, but there's only one point in this whole passage. We'll put it that way. One point. So I kind of staggered it where you'll see the one point. Men of Israel, this is Peter talking, listen to this. Jesus of Nazareth was a man accredited by God to you by miracles, wonders, and signs which God did among you through him as you yourselves know. This man, I want to stop right there. So what did Peter just say? He's the rock, and as he's the rock, what does he do? He points a different direction. He points somewhere else. He doesn't even point to himself whatsoever as if he's doing anything. He points to, listen this, Jesus Christ was accredited to you through his miracles, through what he did, through his love. This is what a man that was completely accredited to you, accredited by God. In other words, he's literally saying, Jesus is God, carrying this power. Then he says something else. This man was handed over to you by God's set purpose and foreknowledge, and you, with the help of the wicked, put him to death by nailing him on the cross. Verse saying, Peter says, Jesus is God. You put him to death by nailing him on the cross. 24, God raised him from the dead. Who's the rock here? Peter, this rock, or is he just transferring a message that will carry an impact that will change the world? If he's transferring a message that will carry an impact that's going to change the world. And what is that message? When, when the apostles heard it, they were cut to the heart. Because Peter was such a powerful person, 
They cut him to the heart. No. Because the message was such a powerful message, people were cut to the heart. That's the reason why they were cut to the heart. So after they were cut to the heart, they said to Peter, the apostles, brothers, what should we do? (laughs) They're looking for Peter because they need help, because they're like, Jesus is God, Jesus came, Jesus died, Jesus rose, it pierced me, what should we do about it? And this is Peter's response, repent and be baptized. Repent and be baptized. Be broken for what you did, hand yourself over to God, and identify yourself, is what baptism means, identify yourself with the death, burial, and resurrection of God. And therefore, every one of you, in the name of Jesus Christ, for the forgiveness of sins, and you will receive the gift of the Holy Spirit if this has taken place. So we're just launching the church. This is like the greatest foundation, the very essentials of the church. After this happened, Acts 2.41, about 3,000 were added to their numbers. That day, the church would launch. Is it because Peter knew what he was doing? Is it because Peter was filled with the Holy Spirit? Why was the church launched? It was because the message that launches the church was proclaimed and people were cut to the quick, emotionally moved by it, and sure enough, what happened, the church launched by that message. But it continues to be launched by that message. What takes place further down in Acts? 5,000 people receive Christ. And then you have another thousands of people receive Christ. Thousands of people receive Christ. All the way through Acts, you see an aggressive revival. In fact, in fact the most re- largest revival that's ever taken place in this planet was during that time, and it was off of a message, off of an emotional message that was built and almost pushed up from the Old Testament and then completely declared after Christ came and completely fulfilled. So that was the, the launch of the church. But some other things that took place that are significant, now we're going to kind of move out of the Bible a little bit and just look into the history, is that, um, number three, 70 A.D., the temple was destroyed. So uh, what's Christ's message? Christ's message is, believe in the Lord Jesus Christ and you'll be saved. Believe in death, resurrection, the Lord Jesus Christ. You will be saved. And then what are you going to get? Christ in you. So when we look at different prophecies, um, this is a huge one that you want to think about. And the reason why you want to think about this one is because, yes, Christ preached a different message. The message is Christ in you. Message is not a temple built by hands, but a temple built by the Holy Spirit. And then all of a sudden Rome comes down and what? Wipes away the temple. Um, That's not a coincidence. We'll We'll put it that way. Has a temple been built today? Is the temple built today? Uh, The foundation remains, and on top of it is is a mosque. And um, so is the temple built today? No, temple's not built. Do the Jews want the temple built today? The Jews are starving to have the temple built today. Um, Are Christians starving for the temple built today? We are so excited that Christ lives in us. And when we go and we go to Jerusalem and we look at that temple, what can we do? <laughs> yeah, there's been so much history there. It has been absolutely amazing through the Bible. It just um, uh, reinstates in my mind that history has taken place, Old Testament has taken place, but Christ came and lives specifically in me, and I'm completely satisfied with it. 
went to Israel a couple years ago, and when I went to Israel, they went to um, the grave, or the, um, the, the, um, the grave, the stone, not the grave, the stone, what am I looking for? What's the words? <laughs> the stone, where Jesus was buried. Uh, the tomb, that's it, the garden tomb. I was looking at, what's the word, tomb? <laughs> looking at the, the tomb. And there's different places out there that say, well, this is where Jesus was, you know, uh, the tomb where Jesus was buried, or this is the tomb. Um, but there's one place um, that the Protestants um, are hanging on to. And what happens is they say, we don't know if this is the tomb, but it's pretty amazing. And I will tell you, when we went there, it was pretty specific. A stone that can be rolled away, the shelf was still there. Everything was absolutely amazing. And, and we looked into the tomb. And they would say, we don't know if this is a tomb. It could be anywhere, you know, those kind of things. And they'd tell us, the most fascinating thing about the tomb is that Christ is, in it, is not in it. And so when you get this message of starting the church, that Christ does not live in the specific spots, specific buildings, into a temple. You're thinking, Christ now lives in me. This is the message that launched the church. This is why Jesus used the word church rather than even another word of like Israel or even temple. This is the church, Christ live in you. So the temple was destroyed um, 70 AD, not much after, much afterwards. So now, um, number four, 100 A.D., the Apostles' Creed was written. The Meritorian Canon of Scripture was established. So let me tell you what's going on between um, 70 A.D. Um, and all the way, I would say, to 300 um, A.D. So it's not specifically that one, but 300 A.D., um, the Christians were persecuted. If you're a Christian, you're going to overthrow the Roman Empire, you're going to overthrow the government, you're going to be killed. Announce Christ, we'll kill you. And there's a lot of problems with that. Um, and the people that had the problems was the government, not the, not the apostles. The reason why the government had a problem with that is because they would kill them, and then they would rise up and be more of them. And they would continue to grow. And the persecution continued to grow and grow and grow, and the church continued to grow and grow and grow. But there was a horrific amount of persecution that was taking place from 70, I'd say from 70 AD um, to, to, to 300. So inside of this, they're still, what Bible are they using? They're using letters that are kind of passed around. <laughs> you know, Paul wrote a letter to Corinth, and, oh, okay, Paul wrote this letter. Let's hang on to this. They'd rewrite the letter again. They'd, they'd pass it around as something that um, was being used to um, continue to keep the church going. But the one thing that drove the entire church was that message, the gospel of the living Christ, and then the apostles' writings and witnesses of it, they kind of put things together as well as this church is being established and being developed. But then there's also people that are like, well, we believe this, and we believe this, and we believe this. And they're like, well, Paul doesn't say this in this letter. And who is a Christian now? Because maybe some denominations started taking place. Or maybe not even denominations. Maybe some cults started to rise during these 300 years. So during these 300 years, as these cults maybe started to rise under the name of Jesus Christ, they, 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 they made a statement, okay, we had to have a creed. Let's write down a creed that is specific to what we believe. And as we write this creed, specific to what we believe is this is the church according to this creed. And what is the creed? I believe it's on the back of your page. Is that correct? Back of your notes. Here's the Apostles' Creed. Try to connect the church. Try to unify the church. I believe in God, the Father Almighty, the creator of heaven and earth, and in, his, and in Jesus Christ, his only Son, our Lord, who was conceived of the Holy Spirit, 
born of the Virgin Mary, suffered under Pontius Pilate, was crucified, died, and buried. He ascended into hell. The third day he arose again from the dead. He ascended into heaven and sits at the right hand of God the Father. Hence, he shall come to judge the living and the dead. I believe in him, in the Holy Spirit, the holy Catholic Church, the communion of the saints, the forgiveness of sins, the resurrection of the body, and life everlasting. Amen. Hang on to that creed. So what was the creed about? Well, completely central to what? Central, uh, central to the gospel. Completely central to the gospel. This is it. This is just one statement that's going to continue to drive our church. Hang on to it. Go for it. This is where it is at. And then they continue to use the letters that were written out, were written out which is the Moratorian Canon. The Moratorian Canon were, um, uh, we, I didn't even know it was there until I was researching this. It was um, letters that have been researched to, that they were adopting books at this time. And the books that they were adopting, First Peter, Second Peter, you know, all the Pauline epistles, James, Luke, all those, not James, sorry, Luke. It was a, a canon that they were adopting, and they adopted it with this creed as this church continued to move forward. But as we um, read the creed, there's some things that were like, whoa, I don't know if I agree with this. What are a couple things we might not agree with in the creed? Catholic Church. That's right. The apostles were devoting themselves to um, the Catholic Church. Is that a good thing? Yes. It was a wonderful thing because what happens is the Catholic Church means a universal church as a head of this gospel. This is the gospel, and as a gospel, is Catholic means unified in those sense. So we read it, it's an ancient script, but as we read it, we think, oh, well, no, hold on a second. I don't know if I agree with that or not. Why would we not agree with it? It's because we know some history that has taken place, and we're going to get to that um, a little bit. But as you're writing this, the Catholic Church would be something that we would react to now, but it's not something they'd react to then. The other thing that, um, that um, I believe is off and you can disagree with me that Christ ascended into, ascended into hell. Um, I think they were just trying to um, make the statement, and it's an aggressive statement. Some believe that Jesus did go into hell for three days during, you know, when he was not, when he was, um, after he died, those three days he went to hell, and then he was raised again. Um, many of the Protestant scholars don't believe that. Um, the reason why, because why did Jesus say, it is finished? And um, why would he say, today you'd be with me in paradise? So even those words on the cross were not um, explaining that he's going to go to hell and then he's going to meet the thief. It wasn't, it wasn't explaining that. So, but that's just one thing that we look at. It's like, I don't know about this, but I want to talk a little bit more about the Catholic Church. Number five, 313, Constantine, the emperor of Rome, made some big changes. What happens the first 300 years of the church? Complete persecution. All of a sudden, Constantine became the emperor of Rome, and he thought, there is going to be something that can unite the people. What would be the thing that could unite the people? Uh, the thing that could be unite the people would be religion, um, would be God. And what movement was probably the strongest movement in the entire world at that time? It was Christianity over the Apostles' Creed. So the Roman emperor, Constantine, says, we are going to unite the people off of religion. 
So therefore, what we're going to do is religion is not only going to be persecuted, religion is going to be the center of the, even of, the Roman, of the Roman Empire. So during this time, this is just come, some things that started to take place and happen. Letter B, day of rest was on Sunday. Um, and as a result, what is taking place? What's the Sabbath? Sabbath is Saturday. But here it's like, well, day of rest is on Sunday, so what did they start doing Sunday? They started worshiping Sunday in Rome. Uh, letter C, I'm just trying to give you an explanation of what kind of took place with, under Constantine rule. Um, he says, we need to find some Christmas because we've got to celebrate the birth of Jesus. December 25th is going to be the day that we are going to celebrate, start celebrating Christmas. Uh, so that day was considered the holiday. Um, historical sites in Jerusalem were discovered. Um, I went to Jerusalem, and when I did, they laughed at this. Um, it has taken archaeologists many, many, many years, and after they study and survey, they still don't have all the facts. Um, Constantine's wife picked everything out in one day. <laughs> Jesus died here. Jesus rose here. Jesus was born here. She used the Bible, but she picked out all the historic sites. And if you go to Jerusalem, which we're going to go next year in May, if you want to go, if you go to Jerusalem, uh, you will see... Um, the site that Constantine's wife picked out that said, this is the rock where Jesus died on, and this is the tomb that he was, um, that he was buried in. And then when you walk into there, it's just going to be a, a Gothic building, so huge, so amazing, and you have a lot of people laying on the stones, touching the stones, feeling the stones of where Christ, died, uh, where Christ, where Christ was crucified. But then you go somewhere else, say, no, I think he was crucified here, and all those things. But whatever Constantine said happened, just to let you know, <laughs> during, three, uh, during 300. Historical sites of Jerusalem were discovered. The canon of Scripture um, was complete. So now they chose 27 books. They had 23 books in the um, Muratorian canon, and now they chose 27 books at, um, it di- in different cancels. The cancel of Nicene um, gave that canon and uh, said, this is where we're going to... Um, take the scripture that is inspired specifically by, um, by God. And then after that, the Roman Catholic Church started its, its seeds. So was um, Constantine making an entire nation um, Christian really healthy? Um, it could have been okay, but one thing that he did when he made it a Christian nation, is he kept kind of the um, pagan worships there as well. And things started to mix even inside of Christianity. And the things that that started to um, mix inside of Christianity in regards um, to the Bible is that there's more books in the Bible than just what is specifically chosen here. And the books started to expand in the Bible. And even in the 1500s, the Apocrypha was accepted. And all of a sudden, things started to, to change. Um, not in the 1500s, but things started to change after Constantine. Things started to change in a sense of paganism kind of walked a little bit into the Bible and started to switch things. Some of the big things that you're going to get where there's a switch is the cult Isis. <laughs> Believe it or not, I-S-I-S is an Egyptian mother goddess of religion was absorbed into Christianity by replacing um, Isis with Mary. 
Many of the titles that were used for the list, such as Queen of Heaven, uh, was then used as Queen Mary. And in that process, Mary starts to become a central figure in the Roman Catholic Church. I'm not talking about the Catholic Church as mentioned in the Apostle Creeds, because that's a unified church, but the Roman Catholic Church started to make some changes. And also the Roman emperors um, um, embraced some other things that um, resulted in high bishops um, being, being priests. Um, they've also, these priests carried such power that, um, that they're the only ones that can be the tool that would be able to get to God. Now, is that biblical? That's not biblical. Was that being used in the apostles' era before 300? No, Christianity was not doing, was not doing that. You didn't have to go through the priest. Um, salvation almost even had to go through the priest. Um, interpretation of the scriptures all had to go through the priests um, as a result of, you can't understand the word of God unless it is given to you. And the priests, all the way through these years during this process, um, said, well, we can't give the scripture to a human being or, or to the common person, because if you do, they'll start cutting their arms off, and uh, they'll start gouging out their eyes, because if your eye causes you to sin, what are you supposed to do? Cut it off, and they'll do it literally. So they use that to say, Scripture must be interpreted by the priest and the priest alone. Therefore, you stand up here, let the priest bring the interpretation to you so you can take it, um, you can um, be able to understand it specifically. See, so all that started after Constantine of this, the Roman Catholic Church um, started to to grow. Now, the Roman Catholic Church was the dominant um, religion all the way to the the 1500s. Um, and then you hear the word Reformation. Number six, 1500, Reformation began, and the Scripture went into the hands of all the com- of common, of common people. The Reformation was an extreme um, threat to the Roman Catholic Church because they're holding the Bible back, and they're receiving quite some benefits by doing it. Um, and I'm talking about history, okay? I'm not talking about, you know, now what's going on in those things. This time, they're holding the Bible back, and they were getting rich as a result of it. They were getting power as a result of it. They were getting authority as a result. They were getting respect. They were getting almost everything that the Pharisees were getting in the process of holding everything back. Well, Martin Luther, and I'm not going to give you all the details, but Martin Luther was going to train to be a priest, and they did something really bad to Martin Luther. They gave him a Bible, (laughs) and they told him, all right, you're going to be a priest. You read the Bible, and then give it to him. And then as soon as he started reading the Bible, things that came out, faith alone, justification by faith alone. What about all this works? It seems like everything is works. And then he started to step forward and say, we are interpreting the Bible for our own good, not for their own good. And as a result, he put thesis down. They said, this is my marks against the Catholic Church. And all war broke out. Um, and what I mean by war is we've got to suffocate that. We've got to keep the Bible out of common people's hands. And then the printing press started to come. So this is when great revival took place. And as the printing press started to come, people were interpreting Bibles in different languages, and then people were handing it to the common man and uh, the common person. And as soon as they started handing it to the common people, everybody would open up the Bible and say, whoa, I see the gospel, or I might see something else. So this is a huge change um, um, in the church. So after this um, took place, um, the Bible went out to everybody during the process of Reformation. So as the Bible's going out, what started to happen? Denominations started to come. 
major amount of damage. We believe this, we do not believe this. See, the Bible is just first given into their hands. Martin Luther was holding on to the Bible and said, this is what I believe that the sacraments have meant in regards to the Lord's Supper. John Calvin's like, no, this is what I believe. So all of a sudden, this arguments started to take place, and there started to be all these different splits over what? Over the gospel? No, it wasn't over the, it wasn't over the gospel. It wasn't over the simple theme that was supposed to drive the church. It was over the structure in the specific areas of Scripture. This is what I believe. This is what I believe. We'll start a church here. We'll start a church there. We'll start a church there. So, Reformation's taking place, but now let's look into our day right now. I know I did this really fast. Let's look into our day right now. There is an estimated 38,000 religious denominations with an estimated of 55,000 by the year of 2025. Um, what does that mean? That means denominations are continue to, um, to grow. Um, religions are continued to start. Um, um, people's minds are continue to continually move and drive opinions, sometimes even more so than the gospel of what the church was attending to be sitting on um, in the first place. Now, I do want to make the statement that there is estimated 38,000 religious denominations. Uh, no. Religious denominations. And the reason why I put these are religious denominations is because my next point is going to explain Christian denominations. But I will say that there can be some Christian denominations that are moving to outside of even Christian denominations in a sense of some of the doctrine, you know, that could be could be taught. So here we have all these denominations, religious denominations. Number 9, there are 242 Roman Catholic denominations and approximately 9,000 Protestant denominations that are here here now. So the reason why I put all the denominations and the reason why I put the Protestant denominations is because as a church, this is what we live in. Um, JBC, this is what we live in. I'll tell you an event that took place in 2010. Uh, We were going to do a serving project. And what that is, we're going to paint two high schools in one day, or two schools, public schools, in one day. And what we want to do is we want to unify the church, get the whole church together, and if we get the whole church together, um, we'll work it and complete it in one day, and it will be done, and then we'll walk away. So what happens? I actually went from door to door to the churches, knocking on the door, hey, you guys want to be a part of this? Where did I go? I went to the Lutheran church. I went to a whole bunch of churches that were, that were, that were here, the denominations. Um, and then after we did that, we had about 24 denominations that took place. Um, there was somebody that knocked on our door pretty mad, pretty angry, and said, what's, what's your problem? You said that you wanted to unite the church, but you stood and you started to divide the church because you never asked us to be um, a part of the church. And, um, and it was the Mormon church that, that wanted to do that. So there's so many different denominations that are out there, but then there's different religions out there. And I, I, how do I say this? We are living in a mess of religiosity. I mean, so much religiosity. And therefore, we had to give that person um, an answer of what we could do. So what, if it was on your shoulders, what would you do? Would you say, yes, I think that that could work. That won't work. That, that should work not bad. 
and, 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 and let it come in because it unified the church, maybe. What is a church? I don't know. Let me finish, Steve, and then, uh, then you'll be able to see where the answer is going to come, and then um, we can bring up the questions. So where do we, where do we, go? Where do we go from here? And, um, and so <laughs> we were working with a board, and as we were working with a board, um, we had a heart to unify the church. But we had to define what is the church. We have to define what is the church. And if you're going to define it, how long can it be? If you go to a, a church and you see all their, their doctrinal statements, is that their definition of the church? Is that the church or is that not the church? Well, we had to make a decision and then we had to proclaim the decision um, of what we were going to do. And I'll just tell you what we did, you know, just kind of make a, a story short is that we took the Apostles' Creed, and we said, this is what we believe as a church. And anybody that cannot sign the Apostles' Creed, Jesus is God, Jesus died, Jesus rose, anybody who cannot sign the Apostles' Creed, we believe that there's a transfer of walking to heaven or not walking to heaven just through that, that, that one statement that unified the body. And we read the one statement. What is that one statement? Upon this rock I will build my church. You see the beautiful gospel take place, and you see the rock stand and then give the gospel. That it is the only one statement that is going to unify the church. Now, it says a lot of things. And some of the things it says is you cannot work your way up to salvation. And if you're trying to work your way up to salvation, there is going to be a confrontation of I am not going to make it, therefore, are you part of the church? Are you not part of the church? That one central piece is Christ is, is the, the head. So we can number it down a little bit, 38,000 religious denominations. We can take that down <laughs> uh, to more under what? Under the gospel. We can go to the Protestants, and there's still denominations there. These people still believe in the gospel, and it's still scattered out, and we'll talk more about that. Go ahead, Steve. Oh, here, let's um, get you a microphone. We all want to hear you. I work with the Mormons quite often, and before I invite them to the Bible study, we have to agree we have a different Jesus Christ. Mm -hmm. Their Jesus Christ was a spirit in heaven at all times, waiting for his body. He was created by God the Father. We believe in one God. So since we believe in one God, we have a different Christ. If we have a different Christ, we have a different faith. Mm -hmm. uh, I always tell them we have three choices. I could be right, you could be right, or we could be wrong, but at least one of us is going to hell. Yeah. And, and my statement to the church is, is who's on the cross and why he's on the cross. God is on the cross, and he's on the cross for my salvation, period. That's how I identify true religions from false religions. Mm -hmm. Yeah. So, if you're wondering, and you're going to get, I, I didn't put all the scriptures in there, but are you wondering, you know, am I walking, doing the right thing? Am I in the right religion? I'm, I'm looking at 38,000 um, different religions. I'm looking at, in the process, there's 9,000. You're starting to wonder, you know, is this the right or is this the right? Where is, um, where is the correct? Um, my only encouragement is to go directly to the cross. Um, and the reason why you go to directly to the cross is because it is a complete opposite of every 
single religion. It is so actually so radical that if there is no cross, if there was a, a, a snap of the thumb or people saved, that wouldn't be radical enough. The cross is so radical that God came to you other than us going to God. I mean, you can ask that question. Am I in the right religion? You can ask the question, do I go to God or did God come to me and pay for my, my, my price? So what we're doing in religions is we're working our way up to God. And if we are working our way up to God, and I would say even Protestant churches, some Protestant churches are a process of working our way up to God, and they view the cross different in a sense that Jesus did for this for me. What can I do to him because he did it for me? That wouldn't be the church that the rock was, was built on. What the church the rock was built on is Jesus did it for me, and as I see it, my heart is, according to Acts, cut to the quick. What do I need to do? I need to repent. I need to be baptized. See, those things is the result, and it's, it's completely entirely um, of grace. Um, so looking at those pieces of all these denominations that are out there, if somebody walks in the door um, that is... Um, from the Mormon church. If somebody walks in the door from the Jehovah's Witness church, if somebody walks from the door that says, actually, I won't even use names, but preaching a different gospel, how should we respond to people? And I tell you that we make people mad just by talking about this. In fact, I preached a sermon one time, and I got really in trouble um, by somebody, and, um, and they believed a different gospel than I did. <laughs> Sorry, they did. And uh, so how do we respond to, um, to that that want that our people are here. Um, the response that Jefferson Baptist Church has done is, please bring them all in. Please bring them all in. We'll take, we'll take every religion, we'll take every person, every po- person we possibly can, just for the purpose of the presentation of the beautiful gospel that, that comes out. Uh, and that goes from all the sins, that goes from everything. People need to hear the gospel, and we don't stop people at the door without the gospel being presented. So if they're here... We ask the question, will the gospel come off the pastor's lips? Will the gospel come off of our lips in the foyer? Will the gospel be the one central thing that is driving our church forward under any circumstances whatsoever? Will the gospel be the one thing that is going to be a detriment on a person volunteering in an area, a person working in an area, a person that says, I am with the church? We want the unsaved, other religions, whatever takes place, but our central focus is that central gospel. And what happens in Constantine's era is he took the central gospel and said, this is our church, and, but he did not. He did not keep it separate, and all the different, different religions uh, started to come on, come on in. So you have 9,000 Protestant denominations. Last week I talked about denominations, where denominations driven from. The denominations are driven from the mind. I read the Bible, and when I read the Bible, my mind says this, I believe this, they don't believe this, therefore I'm going to do what? Go a different direction and, 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 and split. Um, so, you know, we don't have a, a female pastor here. Um, um, we probably won't have a female pastor here. Some people say, well, I disagree with that. That's, that's wrong. That's horrific. That's, that's, well, is that a saving grace thing that will save the church or not save the church? How do we deal with that? How do we work with that? Um, we don't speak in tongues here. Um, what happens when we don't speak in tongues? If we don't speak in tongues here, people are going to react to us. How come you don't speak in tongues? 
even a conversation that Pastor D had with a pastor, Bill Grable, they don't mind this conversation because they used to go to school, um, not go to school together, but go to seminar together. And when they went to the seminar, they'd talk about tongues. And, and the pastor laughed and said, D, I don't think you're a Christian because you don't speak in tongues. I mean, just in those, those kind of regards. But um, so you have all these different religions. Well, how do we handle those? How do we deal with those? How do we work with those? So just given um, really fast, and we've, get, we've done this before, um, but number 10, the JBC approached doctrines um, are the, the four Ds, and, um, and this is where we're looking at sitting in a, con- uh, a congregation of, of uh, or a congregation, sitting in denominations of 9,000 different denominations. Jefferson believes, Baptist is hanging on to, that there's doctrines that you just discuss. Uh, what are those doctrines that you can just discuss? Discuss would be any doctrines there. Just talk about. Let's talk about the millennium. <laughs> It's a discussion doctrine. Um, the reason why it's a discussion doctrine, because it's like, whoa, it's kind of big. There's only one passing on the millennium. Whoa, you know, in, in, in those, in, uh, those, those pieces of it. You can talk about great discussions talking about the Bible. There is other, other doctrines that are debate. Um, you can go into a, a different debate. Hey, let's talk about this. A debate should only happen if it is going to bring health after the conversation is done. If health after the conversation is done or in the process of the conversation, then, how do I say this nicely? You're not working with somebody mature enough to debate. There has to be a maturity in people say, hey, let's talk about, you know, talk about Calvinism, you know, those things. And then it's like, boy, God works in this way, this verse says this, this verse. And what you do is you feed off of each other. That's what a debate would look like. A debate would look like, I believe this, you believe this, let me show you, let me point to you, that doesn't, that doesn't work. But there's doctrines that will fall into that category. And then there's doctrines that will fall in the category of divide for, uh, what would be a divide for doctrine? Um, it's, it's up to you. For me, I don't go to a church that speaks in tongues. Um, are the people not saved if they do not speak in tongues? Is that a doctrine I want to hold on to that say, this is absolutely insane that people would do such a thing? No, but I don't go to that church. So it's a, a divide for doctrine. Is that okay? I would say, um, yes, I believe. Um, it's okay, they could do it. I'm just not there. Hopefully they're hanging on to the principles that the gospel is the center of the church. But then you have the die-for doctrines, and the die-for doctrines can get very, very specific. And uh, what is a die-for doctrine? It goes right back to the cross. But it'll also stretch to the virgin birth. Why would it stretch to the virgin birth? Because if Jesus is not God, his death is not sufficient. Jesus has to be God. So then you look at the doctrines that center specifically around the gospel and hold on to those and say, this is, we're messing with salvation in regards to um, contemplating these doctrines or even speaking about those, those doctrines. But this is just to give you a base, and I'm looking at, and we don't have time for questions. This is just giving us the base of how the church got started and where the church is at and how should we respond to even where the church is at in regards to all the denominations that are out there and in regards, to, um, in regards to those things. And the one point I wanted to get across, and it is just one point, is that when you hear the word church, it stands on one thing. That one thing is your entrance into heaven. That, that's a statement. But that one thing is the death, burial, and resurrection of Jesus. Life, death, burial, and resurrection of Jesus Christ. And the reason why, because it is the entrance into heaven, because we cannot do it, do it um, on our own. We can't work our way up there, and that is the base of the church. All right?
Sorry I went a little long. I was hoping to get some uh, um, questions, but uh, I talked too much. So you're dismissed. Next week.